Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. Our scripture for today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Again, it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in, being, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, if you would all join me in prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we wish you a Happy New Year. On the 2023rd year of our Lord, uh, Lord, I ask that you would bless us this morning. Lord, you speak through me. Lord, you speak to us, would we have uh, ears to hear and hearts to accept the truth that you have for us this morning. Uh, Lord, would you bless all of those here? Would you bless those um, who are watching us online and uh, who will soon to be with us um, in person, Lord? But we just love you. Thank you for all you do for us. And would you bless us this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to be talking about pain today. Life is painful, and though I have a great life, I too have experienced my share of tragedy. Before my youth and my joy, this big smile, um, throw a, cast a doubt on my story, let me take you on a journey uh, through just a few things that I've been through in my short life. When I was two years old, my parents got divorced. I don't remember my biological parents being together. And I've had a distance relationship with my biological father my whole life. I've had to wake up in one city on Christmas and then drive a couple of hours to another city to spend the rest of the holiday. Maybe you also know what it's like to be at a holiday family dinner with mom or dad not present because they don't get along too well. My youngest sister, Coral, was diagnosed with tuberous sclerosis when she was five months old. She was given less than seven months to live. Uh, my parents didn't leave the house for those seven months, and I learned what a seizure was when I was just seven years old. I still remember playing with my baby sister and having to yell for mom when she collapsed into a contorted shape and began shaking. We took frequent trips from Southern California to Mexico where we could legally buy and legally bring back the only drug that could and did save my sister's life. At 22, she spent more time in hospitals than anybody that I've ever known. And uh, with her multiple near-death experiences, I have found myself literally on my knees crying out to God to save her, knowing that I was completely helpless and powerless. It was hard for me, but I'll never know how hard it's been for her. Gosh, on a lighter note... Um, <laughs> I was born colorblind. Um, I've never seen the true beauty of a sunset or a sunrise uh, or the full magnificence of a rainbow. I don't know the true color or the true tone of my mom's skin. 
and I don't know the true look of my favorite color. I've mismatched outfits, hopefully not today. <laughs> uh, I've had to ask strangers what color something is, and I can't even pick out the red roof that you have to paddle into when you paddle in from the Mokes. I've experienced disappointment upon disappointment. After the honor and prestige of being accepted into the Air Force Academy and making it to basic, I was greeted by my family on acceptance day. Uh, mom then shared with me that she had been diagnosed with cancer. After just two hours with my family, they had to go, and I was left alone with my thoughts and the terror at losing one of the most important people in my life. She's good now, but... Perhaps you've been in a position like that. Or maybe like me, you became mad at God and made poor decisions because of it. I lived briefly and got into really bad trouble one weekend. Uh, I accepted my punishment and I worked hard to stay at school. But the day before my sophomore year would start, I was brought into the commandant's office and told I'd be leaving the academy, losing my scholarship, and losing my career and mission that I thought God had given me. A year later, I got a phone call from one of my best friends and learned that the other had died in a motorcycle accident. I had called him two days earlier and missed him, only leaving a voicemail that I'll never know if he got. Five years after that, another best friend was found passed away from a drug overdose the morning before he was planning to check into rehab. Maybe you've also felt the sting of death. I spent days on end in the hospital. I'm sure some of you too have. Uh, and I once went through opiate withdrawals after an ankle surgery because I wasn't properly informed on my medication regimen. I've had 16 broken bones, countless stitches, several concussions, and I've been to the emergency room over 20 times in 30 years of life. Life is painful. And maybe some of you relate. Maybe some of you look at my list and think, if you only knew. Maybe some of you have never experienced any of these things but your tragedy is still your tragedy. And no one can judge another person's pain because pain is real. And like C.S. Lewis said, it is God's megaphone to rouse a world. But God doesn't only use our pain. He stepped in. He took your pain upon himself when he took on your flesh. As I know and you know, life has its up and downs, and those downs are painful. Taking on flesh, Jesus entered into life that was also filled with difficulty and pain that you and I can probably relate to. In Hebrews 2.18, scriptures tell us that for since he himself was tempted in all that, that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And that brings us to point one on your sermon outline, which you can get at the door or online at the banner on our page. Uh, point one, Jesus gets you. Jesus gets you. So take a journey with me now as we go through Jesus's life and some of the pains that he experienced. We're going to go prickly, pretty quickly through just a few of them. So Jesus was born into poverty. The one to whom all things belong came to earth with absolutely nothing. The Son of God was redeemed for two small doves. He wasn't even afforded a bed 
on the day of his birth, but was placed in a dirty manger among smelly animals. He and his parents were refugees. The world was shocked almost a year ago to watch Ukrainians run from their homes and take shelter in subway stations. I was shocked because I was watching people who looked like me. They wore the same thing, they had the same luggage, they were walking down streets that looked like ours. And Jesus understands, Jesus understood what they were going for you, what they were going through. His family fled to Egypt when he was just a baby and he spent his most formidable years in a foreign country. He probably came home with a recognizably Egyptian accent in a country that didn't treat foreigners too fondly. And let's not forget the questions always surrounding his birth. In the ancient world, such a question could prohibit somebody from a person from their family inheritance. Relatives and others probably mocked him and his mother for such a story. The son of God or the son of a dog? Did you ever think about Jesus experiencing bullying? Bullied not only for his birth, but for simply being a little strange. In Luke 2, we see 12-year-old Jesus hanging out with rabbis. What's a 12-year-old doing with a bunch of old men? Is it a stretch to think he didn't have any friends? Is it a stretch to think maybe Jesus was awkward, too smart and knowledgeable about the Torah? He was the kid who always did the right thing, always got it right, and we know that that can be a bit annoying. (laughs) Being the only perfect person in the world had its costs, even in adolescence. Not to mention, when he was hanging out with the rabbis, Mary and Joseph thought he was among the relatives, his friends, and his family for an entire day. But when they found him, Jesus said, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand. Kids, do you ever feel like your parents don't understand you? Jesus gets it. Parents, Are you scratching your head trying to figure out what the heck your kids are up to? God, our Father, definitely gets that with us. And then, well, we don't actually know what happens next. For almost two decades is silence. Do you ever feel stuck? There are 18 years of silence between the episode in the temple and when Jesus began his public ministry. 18 years of making things out of wood, 18 years of learning how to be a good carpenter, learning how to get along with his family, most likely watching those he loved get married, start families, start businesses. We've all experienced waiting for something, waiting for graduation, waiting for that promotion, that guy or that girl, that child. Can you imagine waiting 18 years for life to finally start? Jesus can Have you been insulted, belittled, mocked? Jesus, the eldest, was disrespected by his brothers. The worker of miracles was dishonored in his own hometown. The God-man was accused of blasphemy by those who studied God most closely. And even the criminals derided the one who died for all criminals. Jesus also, like many of us, suffered loss. The death of Joseph, the death of his cousin John, and the death of his friend Lazarus. And if all that wasn't enough, Jesus was homeless. Some of you know what it's like to pack up all your belongings, 
to travel halfway across the world only to be stuffed into a small hotel room with five other family members for three months while you're waiting for the military to get its act together. <laughs> Jesus gets not having a place to call your own. Well, we've said that life is hard, and we've shown that Jesus gets it. But did he really? Isn't he God? How can it be so bad for God, an eternal being who for life was just a blink to go through these things? Does God really suffer in the way that we do? Maybe Jesus' life was hard, but he's God. We're just mortal. Well, if we turn to Hebrews 4.15, the next page over in my Bible, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And that brings us to point two. Jesus is just like you. Jesus is just like you. Yes, Jesus left his home on high. He left his majesty, left the attendance of angels upon angels, left the very side of the Father enthroned in the heavens, and was born a helpless baby. And he did this for you, to be like you. Jesus didn't need to go through any of those things we mentioned before, but he did, and he chose to. He left it all and took on suffering for one reason, to show us how much he truly understands, to show us his love for those who suffered divorce, to be near to those who feel the sting of death, to walk among the disease and know the pain of losing a loved one, to be close to the brokenhearted, to understand a life of poverty. He did it to show you that he is not just some God far off in an ivory tower, but that he is willing to come close and meet us in the mess of life, to hold the suffering and the ugly and to whisper through our tears, I am here. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 tell us, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So the Greek word for form there is morphe. This word refers to that form which truly and fully expresses the being which underlies it. Think the real you, not the Instagram you. The you that is you from sunup to sundown. The you that only your closest friends and family know and understand. This is the form of God that Jesus is and Jesus was the true God. And the entire phrase there, en morphe theu, should be understood to mean the form that is the glorious radiant light of God which we see in the Old Testament prophets. God enthroned in the heavens, God that no human can look upon and survive. But verse 7 takes the exact same word in a very different phrase. Morphein dulo the form of a bondservant, or, better translated, the form of a slave. The form which truly and, fully truly and fully reflects the slave which underlies it. Jesus' form on earth, his humanity, was true and real humanity, with all the pain, with all the brokenness, the smells, the mistakes, and the difficulty of eking out a life in first century Palestine. 
and the mortality. Okay, one more Greek word, because I'm in seminary. I want to make Pastor Perry proud. <laughs> and, and I think it's important to understand this. Taking the form of a slave. The word for taking is lambano, meaning to receive. It pictures someone reaching out their hands to receive a gift, or in Jesus' case, to take on our likeness. This means it wasn't just given to him. It wasn't just imputed to him. Agency was required. He had to reach out and take it, and it was his will to become flesh and walk among us. The second member of the Trinity, the Word of God, the eternal Son who existed in glory with God before the world began, reached out and put on your likeness. Jesus was not just a man. He was God, and God took on your humanity, being found like you. But he didn't just do this for a few decades. He took on our humanity forever. For all of eternity, Jesus will be like you, bound to space and time, forever living in the form of a man, so that he would truly experience what you experience, and he would share in your likeness for eternity. God who existed as God experienced all that we would, so that he would be our sympathetic high priest, tempted in all ways as we are. We know that he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, but he was also tempted through the conditions of his life. We often forget that sin isn't just what we do, but it's how we behave. It's how we respond internally to the difficulty around us. As we've seen what Jesus has gone to understand us, to be like us, to truly know what we are and what we are going through. And now, how did he respond to this difficulty in life? Well, in our passage, Philippians 2, 6 through 7, says, Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Brings us to point three. Jesus gave up his rights as God for you. Jesus gave up his rights as God for you. He gave it all up for you. He lived as a poor man in God's chosen nation, but God's chosen nation while it was subjected to an evil and violent and pagan government. The creator of all things became the smallest unit of life. The one who knows no bounds of space or time was bound in his mother's womb for nine months. The giver of all things who needed nothing became the most helpless creature on earth who needs everything. The very word of God had to learn how to say a word. The one in whom we can do all things had to learn how to do everything. And the very giver of the law of Moses submitted himself to it, fulfilling it perfectly. He took on weakness, helplessness, ignorance, and submission to authority. He gave up his glory, his majesty, his riches, his omnipresence, and more. The giver of life gave up his life. At the end of his ministry, only a few, few years older than me and younger than many of you in this room, Jesus faced death. He didn't want to die. He was terrified. He was on his knees, begging the Father who had given him everything, who had lavished upon his son, 
who would give him everything to let this cup pass. Father, I have done all that you have asked of me. I have lived a perfect life. I have chosen those you wanted me to choose, and I have loved them as you would love me. Please, let there be another way. But Jesus even gave up his will. Not my will, but your will be done. In humility, Jesus laid down his rights to live among us. He faced our challenges and ultimately died for us. In humility, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And in humility, he who could call down a legion of angels to rescue him from the cross prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, or this, is our God. This is the one who has every right to be worshipped, to be venerated, to vanquish his foes with a word. Those soldiers should have quaked in reverence at Jesus, yet they beat him to a pulp and stuck nails into his hands. And still Jesus, their God, would forgive them, would pray for their souls. He is no capricious God of the Romans or the Greeks. He is the true God, full of grace and truth, with loving kindness that reaches down through the generations. Jesus knows that this life is hard. And he cares about you and your pain. And he showed us the way to live despite that difficulty. He showed us that he would give up his rights for the glory of God and for the salvation of mankind. And we are called not only to look at Jesus as Savior and Messiah, but also as example. Christ's attitude in all these things was humility. And never once did he grasp for the things that were his by right. Philippians 2.5, beginning of our passage, says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus did all of this that he would get you. But do you get Jesus? So point four on your outline. Jesus gets you. Do you get Jesus? Jesus gets you, but do you get Jesus? Jesus gets everything you're going through. Do you get him? Are you living in the power that he has bestowed upon you to respond in kind? Are you prepared to lay down your rights in the face of pain and adversity? When you face the sickness of a loved one, Does it become an excuse to shirk on your responsibilities, to be unkind and short with others? Do you feel it is your right for a drink or several at the end of the day? Is it your right to be bitter at the lot life has given you? When your mother-in-law tells you how to run your household, do you cling to your rights and respond with pride? Do you lose your patience with an aging parent or loved one who has difficulty with technology? Do you get angry and lash out when your contractor doesn't show up for the eighth day in a row when you just want your house back for the holidays? When your wife has a bad day, is it your right to fix her problems? When your husband is being rude, is it your right to say the one thing you know will hurt him? When marriage is difficult, what do you do? You have the right to recede from conversation to become numb to the needs of your spouse or your children? Do you throw yourself into work because the work of a failing marriage is more difficult? 
Isn't it your right to be happy? If you face a disability, do you allow it to rule your life? Does your disability become who you are? When your job is difficult, when you've worked long hours all week, is it your right to neglect the family? And when you experience the death of a loved one, do you get to do whatever you want? Does it give you the right to be angry, to be vindictive? Does it give you the right to recede into your own thoughts or into depression? Maybe it does. But Jesus didn't allow his rights to get in the way of his responsibilities. God does give us rights. He gave us rights when he created us in his image. He gave us rights when he said to treat your neighbor as yourself. He gave us rights when he died for our sins. He gave us the right to eternal life and forgiveness in him. And he gave us the right to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. But God then turns around and asks, asks you to give up your rights for his glory and the betterment of those around you. Last week, I was sitting where you are, tired and a bit on edge. It was Christmas Eve, and I hadn't wrapped any of my gifts yet. <laughs> I was nervous about the sermon that I'd be giving right now. And as I sat there, I listened to Pastor Perry not once, not twice, but three times say something that I had literally typed up and planned to say today. <laughs> I was shocked. I felt that sinking feeling in my stomach. I looked over at my mom who had heard the ser the top my sermon and my topic over and over again like, what? I even texted Pastor Pete, do I need to come up with a different topic now? <laughs> I was a little bit indignant and I was letting my perceived rights completely twist my mind and my heart. On the eve of celebrating the humblest act of service and God's greatest gift to the world, I was just thinking about myself. It was my first sermon to this beautiful congregation. I wanted to say something new and fresh. I wanted to tickle your ears with my intelligence and study and show you just how great of a brand new pastor I could be. Oh, prideful and foolish young man. And yet, what a sweet and tender God we have. While I was working on this sermon about the rights that we are to give up for Christ, he was working on me. This year, may you let the humility of Christ through the Holy Spirit work on you, and may you give up your rights for his glory and for those around you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving up so much for us. From your home, your riches, to your rights, and your life. We'll have all of eternity to discover the, the real meaning of it. Lord, we thank you that you don't only give up your rights for us, but you give us the power to give up our rights for you and for those around us. Lord, we ask that you would uh, empower us this week and this year. Lord, would you show us the places that you want us to succeed to you? Would you show us uh, our rights that you are asking us to lay down? And Lord, would you give us the grace and the mercy to do so? Would you give us the, the grace with ourselves when we fail? 
Um, Lord, and grace for one another as we all try to become more and more like you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We ask that you would bless this morning and bless this year. Uh, and may we be a blessing to you and those around us. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.